Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Until the recent days, there weren't really a lot of options for these banks and financial institutions to move. It wasn't clear to them how they can get out of working with the legacy provider. But I think the path is a lot clearer now and the urgency is also a lot higher now. And so I think what we expect to continue to see is more and more of these companies essentially taking that step forward to upgrade the technology to something that's newer, better, and importantly, future-proof. That was episode six, CFO and co-founder, Shermaine Hu, and she is my special guest on this episode, episode 226 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Shermaine started her career in electrical engineering and wound up, thankfully, in the payment space. Her career has spanned multiple years in multiple countries. Episode six is a technology company that offers infrastructure technology primarily to banks, who then provide payments and financial products to their customers. Their two main areas of expertise are payment processing services and a digital ledger offering. Their technology is flexible, adaptable, and they can give you what you need better, faster, and relatively cheaper than their competitors. Shermaine and I go on to talk about her journey to starting the company and her current role of CFO, although she manages much more than just the financial side of the business. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Shermaine. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Yay, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. If you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. We'll, we'll cover your professional career in a minute, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Okay, sure. I was born in Hong Kong. My parents still live there. When I was 14, I was uh, sent to boarding school in the UK. And, and I kind of laugh at that a little bit because every time I tell someone that, then they're like, what do you do? Why did your parents send you away? But it was a very <laughs> good boarding school experience. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. I went on to go to uni, uh, university in the UK as well, and then started working in London and then New York. And then now I live in Austin, where I moved to about 10 years ago. And here I am. Okay. Okay, great. Well, let's talk about the company, Episode 6. So tell the audience what Episode 6 does. Yes. So we are a technology company that offers infrastructure technology to primarily banks, but also other companies that provide payments and financial products to their end customers, which can be consumers, which can be small businesses and you know, big corporates, so on and so forth. And the technology solutions that we offer covers two main areas. One is payment processing and two is digital ledger. And I normally pause there to see whether people understand what that means, because I, I know those are kind of big words. And if you're not really in the payment infrastructure space, it's kind of conceptually hard to understand what that is. So should I elaborate a little bit further as to what, what I that think is? you should. Yes, <laughs> okay. absolutely. I think that'd be a good idea. 
Yeah, so so I think for and and I'm not a technology person myself, so I like to dumb it down for myself so that I can understand it and then explain to other people who also may not be payments infrastructure expert. But if you think about any type of like most basic payment products, whether it's a checking account or a credit card, what is necessary for any and all of those products are really two things. One is a, a ledger, and because everything is electronic these days, is a digital ledger on which all these accounts can be captured. So you know it can manage the account balances, manage the transactions in and out, you know funds flow and and whatnot. So that's really the digital ledger component of the technology that we offer. Now, with a checking account, you need to take money out, you know, go to the ATM, or with a credit card, you go and pay for your coffee and whatnot. So those are transactions. Those are largely payments-related transactions. So those need to be processed, and you know, someone needs to be managing that processing of that transaction through all the payment networks involved. And so that's really the other aspect of what our technology does—the payment processing. So, in a nutshell, those are really the two main capabilities that we offer. And if you think about all the banks and other, you know, brands and financial companies that offer payment products to folks, those are the typical things that they need to have in terms of technology infrastructure before they can design their cool product with, you know, special functionalities with beautiful, intuitive UIs that they offer to their customers. But without that infrastructure layer. Those two things that I talked about, they, they can't build that cool product on top of it. Sure, makes a lot of sense. So when you when you talk about banks being customers, are there certain size banks? Is it the is it the smaller ones, the regional players, or does it matter? Yeah, no, we love them all. We have global among the largest banks in the world who are our clients, but we also work with. Regional and local banks as well. Ultimately, our technology is very light from a stack perspective, so it would work for a small banks that you know may or may not have as much resources or want to allocate as much technology resources to support that tech stack. But for big banks, because of the capabilities that we offer, we can also provide to them what they need as well. So we don't discriminate against size. We work with all of them, and and definitely happy to to support any size banking organizations. But also as a company, we are also very global. You know, our, our tech stack is we can be located anywhere, so we're agnostic from a geographic perspective. And so we work with banks really across the globe of all sizes. Okay, okay, and then. As someone who's been in the industry a while, you know about sort of the the fintech side of the business where I think you were kind of alluding to that, right? So I would assume that fintechs also are potential customers or, or customers of yours. Yes, they are. And I think fintechs are quite different in terms of how we work with them. You know, I think with banks, there, there are a lot more processes involved in terms of onboarding a vendor, looking for technology, they're, they're very structured ways for a bank to find a new technology partner, onboard it and you know work with it. But for fintechs, I think oftentimes they're looking for, they're, they're very much focused on the technology and also their ability to, to move more quickly is more, more so than you know, some of the banking partners that we work with. So we do have a lot of fintech clients as well. 
Okay, makes perfect sense. And part of your go-to-market strategy, so do you have a, a direct sales team all over the world or do you work through partners or do you utilize both strategies? Yeah, you, we use both. You, you clearly know the space really well. So we, as of right now, we're eight years old as a company, so we're still quite young and quite small. We have about 150 people globally. So our sales force, direct sales force, is, is not massive. In particular, when, when you think about the, the sort of global target addressable market that we're trying to, to go after. So we do do direct sales, but at the same time, we do lean very, very heavily on the partners that we have across different geography as well as category. So for example, we work very well with, you know, the payment networks, but at the same time, we also have partners in the cloud service space, right? Because our technology sits on the cloud and we're also cloud agnostic. So we can work with any cloud services available. And so we have very different types of partners who enjoy working with us because we bring to the table some very good payment technology and they're offering something that's adjacent to what we offer. And so it's really a very, you know, always a very win-win partnership that we have with all our global partners and many of these are, you know, giant organizations with reach into many different potential clients of ours and, and you know, they're probably already offering some other services with them. So, so they know very well what these clients are looking for, whether they have the, the budget or the end or the need for something like what we offer. So we, we have built a lot of very good partnerships that have brought us a lot of clients and potential clients. Sure. Makes sense. So before we go any further, I have to know where the name episode six came from. <laughs> so there, there are two answers to this. I'll give you one and um, one day over a drink, I'll give you the other. Okay. So episode six was founded by three people, so myself and my two other partners. Unlike me, who had a, a banking background, my two other partners have been in the world of startup for, you know, creating new companies, doing new things themselves for, for some time. So by the time we got together and started the company, episode six was the six ventures like we collectively came to, came to start. So hence episode six. Okay. Okay. I can't wait to uh, hear the other, the other uh, <laughs> explanation, but we'll leave that for another time. Sure. <laughs> so what would you say differentiates your company from your competitors out there? Yeah, I'm going to ask marketing team to close their ears because I, I don't think this is the official <laughs> answer <laughs> that they work really hard to prepare. But I, you know, just really dumping it down. I think when someone is buying something, in particular something as important and has a sort of meaningful price tag and a, a duration when you buy technology like ours, it needs to last for multiple years at least. So when you're making such a big investment, you want to be sure that you're getting exactly what you're looking for. And so what, what I tell people is we can always provide to you exactly what you're looking for. Unlike other technology, which has you know, more limitations, we can help you build the exact product that you want to build for your customers. So it's being able to satisfy exactly what you need, whatever that is, you know, whether it's functionalities of the product, 
where it needs to sit within your infrastructure and or you know whatever other criteria there is, we can help you with that because our technology is flexible, adaptable, and resilient. So said differently, we can give you what you need, but additionally, we can do it better, we can do it faster, and we can do it relatively much cheaper than some of the other technology providers out there. Which I know is not our yeah. official <laughs> explanation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a great explanation though. And the banking technology space, I mean, I think there's a few, at least in the U.S., and obviously I'm not as familiar with outside the U.S., but within the U.S., there's some core banking platforms, right? The Jack Henrys of the world that most banks build upon. I assume you guys build on top of their technology, so to speak. Yeah, so, so our stack can sit standalone. So if you want to start, Greg, your own digital bank tomorrow, you can bring our stack, put it on the cloud, and go. However, for other clients that we're working with, oftentimes people already have a stack, right? It's just, it's not giving them exactly what they're needing. It's getting old. They want to, you know, migrate out of it. It slowly, eventually, whatever that kind of problem that they're solving, we can accommodate it by being a sidecar, for example. We're not saying unplug your you know, existing core and plug us in. You can put us on the side next to your existing stack. You know, we'll have some connectivity built out through API, something very straightforward. And then you can test out our platform and or you can launch a new product, a different product using our platform. So you can test it out and figure it out. You know, you like it. It's working really well and you're comfortable with it. There's no risk. We support the performance that you're needing. And then at that point, you can slowly migrate or, or quickly migrate out of your existing provider onto ours. Because I think oftentimes for a lot of the banks, there's just no chance for anyone to say, I'm going to unplug something and plug something in, in a sort of one-off scenario. A gradual modernization is what we are seeing among a lot of our clients. And it's really driven by a deep understanding of what they're using today may still be okay today, but it's definitely not going to be able to support them into the future. And a sort of big bang migration is not possible for many reasons, mainly risk. So what should they do, right? Working with us is one way to essentially dabble into the world of new technology, better technology, but having a much lower risk way of moving to that future without really disrupting what you know their business today. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So where do you see this part of the bigger fintech payments industry? Where do you see it headed in the next, say, two to three years? Yeah, I would say over the next two to three years, I think it's more of what we've seen over the last year or two, in particular post-COVID or since COVID. There's been a bigger, stronger and faster move to digitizing to modernizing the stack that are being used across a huge population of the world of you know, financial institutions and other financial services company. I think as we look across our addressable market, over 80% of banks are still using, running on stack that are built, some as old as in the 80s or 90s, you know, that's still code and platform written in COBOL that is in use. And so, so again, back to what I was saying earlier, I think 
everyone is aware that they need to move forward. They need to upgrade and migrate off of the legacy to the new. But the, the path to that is, is harder to imagine, is risky. And I think, <laughs> I want to say, until we came along, but, you know, I think until the sort of recent days, there weren't really a lot of options for these banks and financial institutions to move. It wasn't clear to them how they can get out of working with the legacy provider. But I think the path is a lot clearer now and the urgency is, is also a lot higher now. And so I think what we expect to continue to see is more and more of these companies essentially taking that step forward to upgrade the technology to something that's newer, better, and importantly, future-proof. Do you think that fintechs will given the kind of economic environment, right, where funding is certainly not what it was a couple of years ago or a year ago even, do you foresee maybe some consolidation there or maybe some just less less new companies out there looking for your solution or do you not see that as a factor? In terms of fintech clients for us, you know, I think we have definitely seen fewer of them around, but it's also not necessarily a bad thing because I think when times were great, when money was almost free, there was just a lot of noise in some ways because everyone is starting their own company, doing their own thing. And so for folks on the other side of choosing a provider, a partner or a vendor to work with, it becomes very hard to differentiate because there are 10, 20 of the same companies saying that they're doing the same thing. So how do you determine who to go with? And in some ways that was harder because we were one of many, many. But I think the last year or two have created an environment where really the stronger, the sort of category leaders were the ones who, who can survive and thrive in this environment. And I, you know, I, I feel, I, I think we are fortunate. And in many ways, I think that environment has helped us to further differentiate ourselves from the sort of big universe of fintechs out there saying that they do payments infrastructure. So I think that in many ways had helped. And I think that also creates an environment for the banks in some ways to feel less pressure to rush into an upgrade because, oh, there are 20 fintechs offering buy now, pay later products, for example. But now they can take a more considered and careful approach in terms of finding the right technology partner, designing really a product that makes sense for their client base as opposed to a, a me too, everyone's doing it, I have to do it too type product, which, you know, I think ultimately over the longer term, is actually going to be more bring higher returns for that investment for the bank. So I think there are many factors that obviously no one, we, we are one of the many companies that needs to continue to raise you know, venture funding in the market. So no one likes the fact that the, the market has done what it's done. But at the same time, I think that there are some good factors coming out of it that has helped companies that that should succeed because they are actually offering something very valuable to the industry. Right, right, right. Okay, well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So you, you mentioned that you went to university in London or in England? In, yeah, in the UK. I went to Cambridge. In the UK. 
Okay, Cambridge. Yes. Okay. So from Cambridge, fill in the gap between Cambridge and your role today. <laughs> so when I graduated, I actually did a, a triple E electrical and electronics engineering degree at Cambridge because I'm science math geek. But at the end of my degree, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I really want a job in engineering. And, you know, that was a many, many years ago. Going to totally date myself, but tech wasn't a really cool thing. And so I was like, mm, I don't know what to do. Feels like finance, investment banking was kind of the popular career at the time. So I got a job and joined an investment bank in London and loved every minute of it. Did MA and investment bank for 14 years, eight of those in London. And then I moved to New York another six years there and at the end of those 14 years I felt learned a lot but somehow it's not the learning curve wasn't as steep as it was and I also felt that you know working in a giant investment bank with 60,000 other people I wasn't really moving the needle and I want to know that what I do every day is really having more of an impact that I can see, that I can feel satisfied about. And so that was when I made the move to join a, a much smaller hundred or so people technology company in Austin. And that's where I met my two other partners. And a few years later, we started the company, episode six. Okay. Okay, great. And so from electrical engineering to CFO, that's that's interesting journey. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and and I also, my HR team is also going to be horrified. I'm like, yeah, I would never really feel that this is what I want to do as a CFO. <laughs> no, never felt like the right title. And, and it kind of started with, there were three of us starting the company and my two partners have very defined and strong skill sets in technology, one of them. And the other one in business development, you know, and sales and, you know, really have a very strong reach across the, the payments network, you know, the sort of universal people that decision makers that ultimately drove the success of all the sales that we were able to do. So when we started the company, I thought, well, okay, you can do technology, you can do sales and I'll do everything else. And Everything else is really not just finance. So I'm actually also responsible for our legal function, for our people and culture function. But when we were, you know, a company of five, ten people, I was the office manager. I basically <laughs> just did everything else. And I, I loved it because I look at my career as one of problem solving, not necessarily of, you know, finance or number crunching or, or anything specific. If that's a problem, I would love to solve it. And so I, I still very much think of myself as that, but I guess somebody needs to be CFO, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe maybe one work-related passion and maybe one personal passion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm very passionate about learning and growth. Like from a work perspective, again, my whole problem-solving thing is to solve problems, you're always learning something new because you haven't really come across that, whatever that problem is before. And so when we were younger, we were hiring a lot of people, very senior engineers, but 
for my teams, I like to hire people out of college because I believe in people wanting to learn, wanting to grow, and wanting to gain experience. And I guess that's why I'm also responsible for our people function because I I think it's very important for us to to value the people who do all the hard work for us, which makes the success of you know who we are as a company. And you know, paying a salary is of course important, but you know, providing that career path. Providing that sort of learning and growing and development journey, I believe is critical. No matter what function, what role, you know, people joining us to do actually is. So I would say, yeah, that's one thing I'm very focused on uh, for our company is how to be people first, how to take care of our people across all these different aspects of their professional and, and personal growth areas. So that's the work one. I guess the non-work one, I have two that I'm kind of torn between. I love dogs and I love running, but I <laughs> I have this vision of upon my retirement, and I don't know if you have been to Austin and remember there's a trail around downtown that a lot of people run and take their dogs for walks and whatnot. And my retirement plan is I'm going to sit on that trail on days when it's 90 plus to tell people who are running and walking their dogs or running their dogs that they need to know that their dog cannot like release heat the same ways that human can. And so when it's 85, 90 degrees, the dogs should be at home. So that's that's what I'm going to do upon my retirement. (laughs) Okay. Well, are you a distance runner? Are you a marathoner? I used to be a marathon runner, but my knees have somewhat given up. So... I did a 10K recently, which was the longest I've run for years. But I, I try. I do what I can now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you mentioned something that this will be the last question, but you mentioned something about, you know, liking to hire people right out of school. And so I always like to pose this question these days, as opposed to 20 years ago when I started in the industry I think kids are coming out, I call them kids, they're coming out of school and they see fintech and payments as a potential career opportunity, right? There's a lot of exciting things going on in in the industry. There's a lot of money that's been invested, a lot of technology and cool stuff going on. So they may come to you and say, hey, I want to work for your company because I want to build a career in payments or in fintech or technology, whatever you might want to call it. What would you tell them they need to do to be successful in their career? Yeah, I I think really the most, as you can tell, I like to really dumb things down. The most simple question that they, they need to be able to answer when they say, I want to come and work for you and do this, is why. Like, why do you want to come and work at episode six and be, you know, I don't know, a financial analyst or be a creative designer, whatever that position is? You need to know why, because if you don't, then after a while, you'll be like, well, I can't remember why I'm here. I'm not getting X and Y and Z. But if you know exactly why you want to come and work here, whether it's I want to work with people like all of you, episode six folks, or I want to pick up skills or experience in these areas and so on and so forth, then you know three months into the job, six months into the job, you let's say you're not happy, then you will know why. Because when you join, you wanted to do A, B, and C. And so far, you can only do A. And then at that point, it's easy. Go and talk to your manager and say, I want to do B and C as well. 
but I, I feel a lot of times folks are kind of rushing or, or just blindly, you know, selecting a career or a company or a job position without that clarity as to why do it, what you want to get out of it. And maybe, you know, I don't remember when I was 21, but maybe it's hard to expect young folks just out of college to know that. But I think at least once you make an attempt to figure out this is the reason, at least the reason for today, before stepping into a career, because it's also too easy to say, well, you know, I don't remember why I'm doing this, so I'm just going to find a different job. But then you're going to come across the same issue, which is, six months into that second job, you're like, well, I don't remember why I'm here either. So then you move to the next thing. So that's not the best way to to essentially build a career, in my view. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Knowing knowing your why, you can, if you know your why for a lot of things in life, you'll be, you'll be successful. So I think that's, that's really good, really good advice. Well, we've covered a lot of ground about you and, and your personal journey and the company and the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? No, I think that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Okay, great, Charmaine. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time's very valuable, so I, I really want to be sensitive to that. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well.